You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we go back or not oh yes we did we did we did you did i guess i guess we did i guess here we are yeah welcome back to no love lost the podcast where we re-examine possibly the greatest show of all time i've been calling it a lost retrospective will uh, none of this greatest show of all time nonsense. Let's accurately contextualize our words, pretty please. I am Will Link, and with me, as always... Megan Salinas, hey everybody. And we're going to be breaking down Season 1, Episode 11, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. I can't believe it took me as long as it did to realize that literally every character in this show has daddy issues. I mean, that's a big theme of this show. I mean, it really is. Early on, they hit us over the head with Jack, but as it goes on, you realize all of them Kate, Claire, they all. Sawyer. Sawyer. They all have. Locke. Locke Locke actually ends up having the biggest daddy issues of all, if you want to really. His daddy pushes him out of a window. How many? But of that's these, for another. That's for another episode. How many of these dads end up on the island in one way or another? Yeah, well, either least, as visions or uh, as actual people. I mean, at least two. Walt has daddy issues. Oh man, yep. And Walt's uh, Walt's dad, Michael, certainly has issues being a father. Well, since it is the title of the episode. And since sometimes, uh, oh, did you want to, um, by the way, give us the credits on this episode? Would you like to tell us who wrote this episode? <laughs> you we know, did, well. We decided we, we figured we should keep better track of this, the writers and directors of each episode. Um, How about I do one and you do the other one? This episode was directed <laughs> by Stephen William. And uh, this, Stephen Williams, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, you had the simple one, and you screwed <laughs> it up. I screwed it up. And the writer was Javier Grillo Mar- Marxut- Marouche. Marouche? I think it's Javier Grillo Marouche. Um, if we, sorry, sorry, Javier. I know that that was probably the worst pronunciation you've ever heard. Javier just started listening on this episode. <laughs> he said, let's hear them break down my episode. He is so offended. He is turning it off. He turned it off. And I, I want to personally apologize, Javier. That was very disrespectful of us. I'm so sorry. Javier, come back on the show. <laughs> Tell us about your daddy issues. <laughs> come back, Javier. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, uh. It's funny, um, because this is definitely one of the the episodes I really remember from season one. After, I feel like after this, things start to get a little hazy. But I I remember the marketing for this episode, uh, because they, a threat like this on the island had never been presented before. Uh, so I remember the marketing for this one, and I and I definitely remember the the sense of urgency that was felt while watching. This. And let's also realize that this episode introduces some things that will be very important, not just for the end of this season, but for next season. So let's get to it, and let's start. Uh, let's start with the flashback because that's where we get a lot of we see a lot of Jacks daddy issues and we could kind of let's get the flashback out of the way yeah it's pretty self-contained and um as you said this this episode is pretty straightforward yeah um jack we see in the first flashback uh and it was pointed out that this is uh the first time we have a repeat flashback for our character with the 
uh, with the exception of the pilot, because yes. the pilot focused on Jack, Kate, and Charlie in terms of flashbacks, and then Jack, of course, had his episode White Rabbit. So, um, very interesting, again, to think that for, for a character that was going to be killed off in the pilot, he now has um, two flashback episodes under his belt this early in the series. Yeah, yeah. and some people don't even have one. Yeah. I'm waiting for your flashback, Hurley. Jin, uh, too! Jin's flashbacks are so good. So, uh, we see Jack in surgery, and something has gone wrong. We do, we kind of dropped into the middle of it. But Jack will not, this patient has flatlined, but Jack will not give up on her. And he is fighting, the, the, he, is, he is pounding away and trying to, trying to get her heart going again, beating again. But it's just, it's not in the cards. And, and his father is there creepily waiting in the wings yeah i mean right away this episode does a really good job of presenting this as something that is not okay something is clearly wrong with this picture yeah and his father's like call it jack like she's dead he's basically saying she is dead jack doesn't want to give up on it but he is forced to because dead is dead and and you're looking at this is that is that a clinical doctor diagnosis of like hey we just need to call it you know that that sort of detached this is just the way things are she's broken we can't put her back together or because jack is so incensed is he just upset because he was unable to resuscitate her or is he upset because of something else and we soon realize it's something else mm-hmm and, and we know from the previous flashback that Jack's father has a... Again, it, it's hard to tell where that detached clinical side sort of ends and where straight-up negligent father <laughs> um, or, or just a straight-up lack of empathy is there. It's like, what kind of person is Jack's dad? Is he just very... You know, is he just committed to his work in that way and so he's detached because of that or is it just because he's a bad person who has zero empathy for anyone but himself uh we find out that this was christian shepherd's patient and jack had to step in because christian's you know a nurse said how his hands were shaking a little bit why well you know how many drinks did he have at lunch that's the question jack poses to him and then we start to understand that, like, oh, Jack's father, drinking problem, gifted surgeon, but... Yeah, and we, we know from the previous episode that he goes... This ultimately is what sends him spiraling into a very deadly bender. Um, yeah. that, you know, the bender that will cost him his life. The bender that... Any bender that starts in Los Angeles and ends in, like, Sydney... In Australia? That is a hell of a bender. <laughs> Let me tell you what. That's... Uh, <laughs> I should change my uh, birthday weekend plans. Yeah, and if I should, I should... I hope to wake up in Tasmania or something. It's like um, any pub... I, I went on, like, a sort of um, barsicle uh bar bar bike ride thing a couple a couple weeks ago where you're all on a cart and you you all pedal and the, yeah, the yeah. cart gets steered yeah i've been stuck in traffic behind you people <laughs> before but go on i did that a, a couple weeks ago and I, and I gotta tell you we only went like a couple blocks uh i can't imagine what a pub crawl that crosses oceans and country lines um international waters i can't imagine what a bender that crosses over international waters is like well, Jack comes to Christian's office, and he wants Jack to basically sign the explanation away of what happened, to basically to cover his ass, cover the hospital's ass, cover everyone's ass, and Jack is clearly torn on this. In one regard, it's his father. Mm -hmm. In the other regard, a woman is dead, and he's got to choose between these things. A woman and, who, you know, I mean... It, and this is where things get tricky. Like, who's to say that she would have lived? Yeah. Who's to say that it was because Christian had a drink? And that so I could see where Jack is trying to convince himself of maybe his his father. We never see the interaction between Christian and the nurse that made her concerned enough to go and get Jack. 
um, in the first place. So we're just sort of dropped into his point of view. And, and according to his professional opinion, as he states later on, it was his father's carelessness that resulted in this woman's death. Yes. Um, as opposed to just the nature of the accident. It's Jack's opinion that she could have been saved. But again, is he bringing a lot of emotion into that because his father was essentially drinking on the job? And then, um, so yeah, it, it's it's a little bit hard to say because you believe Jack's professional opinion, but it's also definitely not an unbiased account. And... Look, here's the thing. One drink is too many drinks when you're about to go into surgery. You're a doctor. Don't do um, that. <laughs> one drink is just the right amount of when you're about to podcast. But <laughs> but um, we're pulling a little Christian Shepherd action ourselves here say, right now. Does, is this indicative of a problem? We, <laughs> yeah. we both got bourbon uh, <laughs> at the table right well, now. Well, it's in honor of Christian's career. Pour one out. Pour one out. So what got me in that scene was how quickly Christian admitted to that it was probably like I think he he read his son and knew the only way he could manipulate him Ugh. into getting what he wanted was to really play the sympathy card. He also tries to play the um it's he builds Jack up a little bit too. He's like most gifted surgeon in the in the city. This is you know? like full on sociopath behavior, yeah. which again paints a very interesting picture about Jack's home life and growing up. Christian Shepherd is a straight up sociopath because we see we see how the changes when we when Jack basically says he's not going to play ball, he's not going to just sweep this under the rug. Christian, first of all, he's he's got enough arrogance and enough ego to go, this is for the greater good. You know, you're hurting the hospital if you tarnish my career, even though he's the one engaging in destructive behavior that's costing other people their lives. And then when he sees that that card's not working, then he goes with, I know I've been hard at you, but look what I've turned you into, Jack. What? Look what I've made you become. And then when that's also not working, that's when he goes in for yeah. the emotional validation. And that's when he puts the hand on the shoulder. He tried everything. And, and, and it's that moment of like, you know, I'm... I'm I, for once in your life, I'm giving you the emotional validation you've craved from me. Um, and again, you have to give it to Matthew Fox's performance. When he is playing the Jack flashback scenes, he kills it. He yeah. kills it so good. And it, it makes me sad that the, the performance notes that he's given on the island are basically reluctant hero. Don't don't do anything other than pretend like you don't want to be here, but you're doing it anyway. <laughs> I see. I don't. F you, you, you. I mean, I, I. Do you think you really feel Jack is reluctant hero? Yes, absolutely. But like, but because I feel like he's so. I mean, I totally know the scenes you're talking about. It's like I didn't ask for any of this, but he dives in to everything like a fucking maniac. And then and he does, whines about it. I know. <laughs> but I, I feel like somehow that's different than reluctant. Like, or, like, or at least the performance is like, I'm getting too old for this. Or <laughs> like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Like, that's what it is. It's that perpetual note of, I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> and I don't blame him for that. It's a perfectly fine character trait especially for season one. But again, knowing that he was never meant to be the protagonist um, and then seeing this reluctant hero, it's like, because even you know you're not supposed to be here. You know you were supposed to die on that. You were supposed to die <laughs> supposed to in the pilot episode. <laughs> um, but, but again, his performance in this flashback is incredible. It's so well done. And it's, it's only... Well, you you yeah. really get the sense he is torn. You really get, and then you get the sense of, like, he wants to believe his father, he wants to love his father, and he wants to give his father that another and chance. And he does. He signs the he paper. Signs the paperwork. It worked. He's going to give Christian Shepard another chance, which he probably would have blown that second chance anyway. Yeah. He probably would have, but, I mean, we'll never know. And that's a thing in Jack's relationship. I mean, 
he signs the thing to give him the second chance, but then later, after seeing the husband of the dead pregnant woman. Oh. Um, well, and it's it's that same thing. It's that, like, seeing his father interacting with the, the now widower, um, it's that same thing. And and I don't particularly like it when the show decides to use slow motion, and I, I'm glad we, like, move away from that. Yeah. Um, but there's that slow-mo move of Christian putting his hand on the shoulder, and that's when Jack really when it really dawns on him that his father was manipulating because it him. feels so he's seeing someone else being manipulated and it feels so false it feels phony um and then we cut to the big the hospital hearing or whatever and he uh, you know christian gives his assessment they have Jack's written, signed statement. Yeah, and even even the, I I guess the board members I I don't know I, I don't know how hospitals are run, <laughs> but uh, even they're like sorry for this formality. Like they're just yeah. going through the motions. They just want to check it off the um, itinerary well, so that they the, can move on. These are two best surgeons. Yeah, and then at the last minute, Jack decides when, to tell the truth it, again, knowing that a child was also lost and uh basically he decides not to give his father that second chance which is the correct move from a greater moral standpoint but it is also the act that will now haunt jack for the rest of his life basically and because he'll he knows his father is dead now he destroyed this man's career which is part of why there's that sense of desperation when he's at the airport, has to bring that body back. Mm-hmm. Why he was searching for him? He needs him. it to be done. Um, yeah, and and and, it's, and it it goes unfinished. And it does go unfinished. And it's why he is literally haunted by his father. <laughs> is that actually the ghost of Christian Shepherd, or is it the smoke monster manipulating him? You know what? I yeah, got was that a, ever determined? No, that was determined. And I admit, although I remember tons of things. I can't remember exactly, because but I believe it was... I think it was the smoke monster. No, I don't think it was. Well, I, the reason I think it was the smoke monster is because later on we'll see another character who was also haunted by a dead family member, by the death of a family member, and the smoke monster dons the mask of that character's brother um, to haunt him. And... and, and uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to it when father, we get to it. I'm I, just by saying, the last season, they're in a lighthouse, I think, together. I, 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 I'm just saying that it, like, there is precedent in the show for the smoke monster, for the man in black, to don someone else's face in order to manipulate someone into doing what they want. Or, or in the case of that poor character, lure them to their untimely death. I can't... I. I can't remember for sure, which is part of the reason why we're doing this rewatch. I I believe, I believe it is the smoke monster, but I could very well be wrong. It could also go back and forth. Like, there could actually be Christian Shepherd ghost wandering around, and then every now and then the smoke monster decides, hey, I'll use that image, because it's convenient for me right now. I do know later on in the series, Christian Shepherd is hanging out in Jacob's shack, but weird that's (laughs) another story for another episode so that's the flashback let's get to the Um, business on the island i do want to bring up two things really quick about this flashback all right first and foremost is it i mean i don't have any relatives who are any any immediate relatives who are in the medical profession um is it real weird that jack and his dad work at the same hospital like that seems like it would be an act of nepotism slash conflict of interest, right? Like, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how it's a conflict of interest. I mean, nepotism, but there's nepotism everywhere. But, well, nepotism doesn't. I'm gonna be on. I'm gonna take a controversial stand here. Nepotism doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, if you're qualified to do the job, and Jack is clearly qualified yeah, to do the job, as it, long as you're qualified to do the it, job. I don't care if you got it and because you went into the family business. You go into family business. I also wouldn't put it past jack to and both both him and christian to not help each other 
Like, um, I, I definitely see Christian as the There's type the of person. You like, had to I'm get not, here on your yeah, own. Yeah, absolutely. I could have pulled strings for I you. I could have pulled strings for but you. I but I didn't because you had to learn. You had to fight and scrap. And look get, where for, you are now. That's, I mean, I don't know whether I've quoted something <laughs> from the show or not because that could be. That's um, exactly the kind but of I, stuff. I, I look at it and I'm like, how likely is it that father and son work at the same hospital? Like, it, it just seemed kind of shady to me. Like, I'm like, is that Christian, like, intentionally keeping tabs on his son? Because they, they do have a really weird relationship? Or is that just Jack just happens to live in the same city as his parents? A lot of people do. I think it's fine. I, uh... And it's the would, best hospital in the city. I would prefer that a father-son team operate on me than just two strangers. This? This father-son team, Will? Uh, per- really? <laughs> After this episode? I want the teams of... I want I want the parent and child, you know? No, I don't want to be the tutorial yep. body. Uh, I don't want to be like, okay, son, this is how, <laughs> this is how we perform surgery. <laughs> now you give it a go. I want the whole this family This isn't a wood shop, Will. <laughs> I want... I want a whole family operating. I want the father and the mother. I want a son and daughter. I want them all I at mean, once. I mean, it would be a very, very smart family if they all went into the medical professional field. Family hospital. <laughs> so <laughs> That should be the name of a soap opera. Family is, hospital. This is going to be our... Um, yeah. That'll be our spinoff. It'll be great. So now... Oh, I, I have oh, one more question. Okay. Um, What do we think in terms of, like... The flashback is entirely focused on Jack's relationship with his father. And then, uh, this is a good segue, because, and then looking at the episode, do we think it's interesting that, even though this is unbeknownst to the character, that as his mind, as, as we go back to these flashbacks of his father, that Jack is diving headfirst to save his sister? I mean, in retrospect, yes. In retrospect. Um, no I, one, I mean, no one in a million years could have predicted that at that moment. I, I think, again, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's that's a little poetic. However, I would think it would be more poetic if they, at any given point, had a real relationship, had a real sibling relationship. They don't, at any point in the series. But isn't that part of what's sad about it, that these two people just, they never knew how close they really were? I mean, I mean, you you could argue, I I could argue for the series as a whole. That's like you look at it as a missed opportunity, but I look at it as a tra- like a tragedy of these characters. I think we're both right. Like, if that makes any sense, that that actually does. <laughs> and quite frankly, that's the case with this entire <laughs> podcast. Deep down, we're both right. <laughs> now, or at least neither of us are wrong. Yes. Except for all the times when you are. No. So, <laughs> so back on the island, Hurley is freaking out about Ethan because they realize uh, Ethan, who was not on the manifest, was heading towards the beach, which is where Claire was going. Everybody was, and Charlie, and now these people are missing. Way to go, Hurley. You're the best. Locke had even gone out hunting with Ethan. Like, he had gotten to know Ethan a little bit. Now, here's the here's the one... Uh, I, I, I don't know for right now if this is going to be my man in black. We'll, we'll talk about it towards the end of the episode. This is the one thing where I'm like, uh, it would have been nice for this, for this to have been a show-don't-tell. Like, if they had introduced Ethan maybe one episode early and we saw him and Locke coming back from we, a hunt we did. together. Did they? Yeah. Okay, then okay, then I, I retract my previous statement. I, think I don't about, remember that. I think about back. two episodes ago. We saw them just it was a I mean it's super brief. Okay. But we saw them coming back to okay. the caves together. I, I will I will give the episode credit. Uh the the legwork had been done, but it was so brief that it did not leave an impact me on me at all. So I don't know, maybe maybe one or two more lines of dialogue, but who knows, that might have been a deleted scene. So Locke and Jack, they run off and they see, because Locke knows how to track, he sees where people were dragged off. There's three sets of prints going that way. That has to be 
where he dragged off. How did this guy, how did this one guy manage to drag off a pregnant woman and Charlie? How did they do this? Uh, Locke is figuring this out. But Jack, Jack doesn't have time to figure shit out. We don't have time for your answers. <laughs> Jack. That doesn't just sum up the series in a nutshell. Locke wants to get a search party. Locke wants to do this in a very pragmatic way. Yeah. But Jack is like, no, I'm just going to run into the jungle like a lunatic. And here's what's also great about this episode. This is truly the first of what will become many Jack Locke arguments uh, that about how to handle things on the island and the very nature of the island. And again, neither of them are necessarily wrong. They're just different approaches. I would argue that Jack <laughs> is wrong. I would argue that Jack in an argument with Locke is... He's... I'm willing to bet, as we do this podcast, and we'll keep track of this, that there will be not one time that I genuinely agree with, uh, that I don't agree with Locke. I think I in the Jack Locke arguments, I I now watch that the next episode. Locke says something crazy, and I'm like, <laughs> then oh, you're okay. like, okay. <laughs> but for the big things, because my big issue was that us as the audience saw these things, amazing things happen, and Jack would see them happen, but Locke. And Locke would be like, this island is special. And Jack would be like, no. <laughs> and it's like. It's Just like, like that. Yeah. You do a great Matthew Fox. But, I mean, this in this argument, I will say that Jack is wrong. He is being too emotional. He's being too headstrong. Well, he is racing ahead. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't even know where he's really going. I, as proven when they catch up with him so quickly because he is running around in circles it's uh, i i i tend to disagree with you in terms of like the larger philosophical uh debates i know that the show in a lot of ways paints Locke is correct um i would say in the larger philosophical debate i side a little bit more with jack because i'm like he's working with the evidence at his disposal neither here nor there in this particular argument I think Jack is right in terms of time is of the essence. Um, I, I, I appreciate Locke being pragmatic about it, but I also understand Jack's urgency, because especially with the death of his father weighing on his conscience um, and the fact that he was unknowingly gaslighting Claire just in the last episode. Um, if he well, there's guilt. Yeah. If he hadn't driven her away, he was well-intentioned, but if he hadn't driven her away, she might not have been in a position to be abducted. Yeah, he feels, Jack, and he brings it up in the episode, he feels completely guilty that, and I, I, I think gaslighting's a little strong. Well, no, he was inadvertently gaslighting Okay, her. yeah. No, he didn't, he didn't mean to. He was, no. uh, I, he, he wasn't intentionally trying to hurt her or trying to make her think that she was crazy. Ironically, he was trying to be pragmatic about what was happening to her. Yeah, it, it like him trying. It's it's so funny again to to see this character who is so logical and so methodical, also very much driven by his emotions and by his guilt and his wrongdoings. Um, it's this is one of those episodes where I, I complain about him being the reluctant hero and having a savior complex and all that stuff, but you completely understand where he's coming from as a character because he's here. He was he was doing everything he could to try to help, and ultimately he's the one who drove her away, and now she's gone, and like Ethan's doing Lord knows what to both her and Charlie. So. Locke goes back to camp, and he's like, Jack's running around like a lunatic. <laughs> uh, who wants to come? And, of course, Kate's like, I'm in. And Locke knew she'd be, you know, because <laughs> Jack's out there. And Kate... He's like, I've been out on, like, little patrols with you before. I know you're competent. <laughs> yeah, and, and, Kate, and Kate is. I mean, she is... Uh, besides Locke, Kate is probably the person I legitimately would trust the most to get me through that island. Um... <laughs> and 
Boone wants to come too, because Boone always wants to be helpful. <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> He's like, I got a pen. Well, it, it's it's funny too to see um, all these characters who jump up to help, um, because they're not the only ones, you know. Um, uh, Michael also jumps up to help. Well, Michael's very frustrated because it's like, I don't, like the rest of us don't want to sit around. Like this pregnant woman has been kidnapped. No. And it's it's noble of him, but also to to the strength of this ensemble cast, everybody wants to be proactive. Every every one of our main cast members wants to be proactive in fixing this problem. And, but Locke shoots him down, and he's absolutely right. You can't have so many people, otherwise you're going to be dragging. Yeah. And also, let's face it, Michael is a little bit in the same vein as Jack. He's going to be a little more headstrong and emotional, and he's not necessarily as equipped well, to be out there. Tracking down people and playing detective is not Michael's strength. Yes. Michael finds his strength in building things. Which is Jack, why he builds a raft later. Yeah, Jack finds his strength in fixing things. Yes. Um, you know, that's, that's why it's so important that Kate is there. Because without her, Jack would have just been running around in circles, probably. Which he was. <laughs> and the and Boone and and Locke and Kate catch up to him, and they all start. Locke picks up the trail, <laughs> and they go. And as they're going, also just find it poetic that Kate, who again should have been the protagonist, is the one to put the story back on track. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just, Jack, you're going nowhere. Here, this is where we got to go. Let's <laughs> go. And they're going, and it also turns out Kate's a pretty good tracker, too. She's no John Locke, but she's pretty good. And when they get to a certain point, they realize Charlie cleverly has been leaving bits of his. He was been writing, like, fate and late and things on it. We've seen in episodes he's writing with tape on his fingers, and he's been leaving them. So they're like, we know we're going in the right direction. But then they get to a certain point, almost a crossroads, and they start it's to think. a literal crossroads. <laughs> yeah, I said almost, but it, <laughs> it is. It absolutely it is. is. Where Locke sees one path, but there's Where also. Where there are footprints, to his credit. But there's also, Charlie has left his thing down another path. So the question is. Is Ethan leaving a dummy trail? What do we do? So they decide to split up. Jack goes with Kate the Tracker. Locke goes with Boone. They go down different paths. If that little bit of a little on the nose, but I also appreciate it. <laughs> but again, it. it's, it's only fine. on the nose in retrospect. I, again, a little on the nose, but I appreciate it. And it's it's not something that it's that's dwelt on it's not something that somebody makes a comment on of like oh i guess here's where we part ways jack or anything like that no it's i'm like i get it i get it it's fine <laughs> um and let's just cut to it jack and kate are the ones who choose the right path yeah and we figure that out because there are more charlie uh, letters left i'd also like to take a point uh, uh uh the point out at this point that jack is a real asshole to Kate. This is what I'm talking about. This, like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. And he's taking it out on her. It's like... He's like, <laughs> why don't you tell me some truths about you? Like, why, why are you so good at tracking? He gets so angry at this woman who is helping him navigate the jungle. This woman who has really been nothing but good to him. Yeah, I, I get it. He's, he's lashing out. He's upset. Here's the thing. From a character perspective, I totally get what he's feeling right now. I, I totally get his feelings of guilt and just being so frustrated you're just lashing out at anybody. And also, you know, Kate also had a, a sort of hand in the murder that he had to, to commit a little while ago by allowing Sawyer to shoot the... So I'm sure that there are still some lingering feelings of resentment and also, uh, you know, stuff like that. But He doesn't but, like Kate keeping these secrets. Yeah. And he yeah. needs to know why she knows how even to track. Though, even though it's none of his business. It's and none he, of your business, and Jack. He, and she tells this very mundane story of, my father liked to hunt. We'd hunt deer. We went in the woods. I can track things. I'm not as good as John, but I can track things, which is basically all she said. And she's like, there, 
End of story. End of very boring story, Jack. (laughs) 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 And, but here's the thing. So I, I completely understand this moment within the narrative. It's just me, again, lingering resentment about him still being alive. It, he's like, again, he's like putting on this reluctant hero act and he's like, what, what are you even doing here, Kate? Who even are you? And it's like, well, if you weren't here, Jack, we'd be exploring that right now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't steal her job and then get mad at her for not being the protagonist. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Jack hears Claire. And he's like, ah, and he goes crazy again. Like, it's like, why? I mean, this, I have a real problem. He's the, um, he's the, um, like the Leroy Jenkins <laughs> of this sh- right? You know, he just. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. He's the Leroy Jenkins of this episode. Because he's just like, ah! He just runs into it. Jack and, and every, Shepard. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, what the fuck? We got to follow this guy now. Like, that's what he is. You're not incorrect. And he races into the where. It's, isn't it a wonder that he didn't just like plow right into the smoke monster at some point, right? Yeah. And what does he do? He falls. He slips. It's raining now. And he falls. And he falls in the mud. And he hits his head. And he's a mess. And when he He's literally like face down in a puddle of dirty water. And who's there? Ethan. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, stop following me. You follow me. I'm going to kill one of them. Now... This is what I'm talking about. I remember this really being pushed in the promo. Well, and it's menacing. Yeah. And Ethan's shot from these low angles. These low Jackson, Dutch angles. And it's really, and it's intimidating. And it's dark. And he looks and like a psycho. Yeah, it's... it's Just it's, like when I saw him at Izzy's Deli that time, a story I told two episodes ago. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, was it also raining that day where you also, like, on the ground and he's, like, stepping on you, like, don't cut in line. The time he beat the shit out of me at Izzy's Deli. (laughs) And he's like, you try to cut in front of me again and I will cut you. It's like, if you you keep following me, I'm going to eat one of these corned beef sandwiches. No! Don't, you monster! Um, But, so... I I definitely, this was genuinely terrifying at the time. Uh, I have a lot of issues with it now just because I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not nearly as menacing, um, kind of knowing a little bit what's behind the curtain. Um, But, like, that doesn't make him any less effective. He kicks the crap out of Jack in this moment. And then when Kate finally catches up, she doesn't believe him when he was like, Ethan was here. And it's like, ha, ha, now you know how it feels, Jack. (laughs) If Ethan attacks you, no one will ever believe it. That is the thing. Maybe that's what he says, like, as he's stepping on you, Will, in the the deli. He's like, no one will ever believe you, Will. But Ethan was really giving to him. And Jack, though decides after after he's beaten up by Ethan Ethan's gone he's reunited with Kate after he also hit his head Jack's still like no we're going forward I don't think he even ever tells Kate he's gonna kill one of them if we do nah because Jack doesn't give a shit and I mean he does give a shit but he when he's got a task at hand he doesn't give a shit and that is one of my big Jack issues. And, it's I mean, one of his fatal flaws. I gotta fix it. I gotta fix it at any cost. Yeah. And, yeah. and we'll we'll see that to a fault absolutely this, later this season. And this idea of... Only I can fix it. And that he'll be able to stop him from killing one of them. Which like, he, he told me straight up that if we keep following him, he's gonna murder somebody. Let's keep following him. And guess what happens? They keep following him, and only, I think, a few more yards down the jungle, what do they find? Charlie hanging from a hung from a tree. And everything about this, this is thing, and this is terrific, and good job to Stephen Williams, the director. This is horrifying. Yeah. Everything about what happens with Charlie in this sequence is horrifying the way he is hanging there the difficulty of kate even it is uh, and this is where lost excels a lesser show wouldn't have dragged this out 
and drag is the wrong word, but they, they really stretch the moment out where uh, he is hanging there. Kate, he, Kate has to, she can't quite get it. They have to swing him over. She cuts him down. And then, and then comes the process of trying to resuscitate him, which yeah. we were looking up before. You were you were looking up before. Jack trying to resuscitate him, and him pounds 23, 23 lost 23. number, twenty three times on his chest before giving up, and then doesn't give up. Pounds nine more times. That is an eternity, and. I did not remember how long this sequence goes on. The I I rem, this was genuinely chilling. This was upsetting and dark and I again like I know that like my my parents like watched Law and Order SVU and everything like that. Again, I don't think I had ever seen anything any sequence like this on television before. Well, somebody... not not dragged out to this degree and even like Seeing someone just hanging there was not something I saw in movies or TV very often at all. He's hanging there for so long, it's almost impossible for him to be alive. Yet, Jack is trying to bring him back. I mean, it is and, it is also dirty and muddy, which doesn't help with with the and, with the whole vibe of the situation. And I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of like this is where Lost excels. Uh, Lost excels in these character moments, and and they, it's scenes like this that really give the actors opportunities to shine. Not when it's delivering clunky expositions about poorly thought out mysteries. It's these moments where like their humanity is at stake. Evangeline's Lily her her her, her Evangeline Lily's breakdown at like seeing it's Jack phenomenal. Trump. Oh my it's amazing. It's a phenomenal bit of acting that you know, it's not the big action of the scene. The big action is Jack pounding and Jack losing it and it's a call back to Jack at the beginning of this episode in the in, in the, the ER, ER room where he was unable to say But this Evangeline person. Lilly, like, what's great about it is we are Evangeline Lilly in the scene. We yeah. are, she is such a great surrogate to the character, not only in, in her crying and breaking down, but then when she tells Jack to call like, it's it, time because to stop. we're watching this, and I don't remember how I felt the first time watching it, but I can only imagine, because even this time watching it, I was a little... Oh my god! Like knowing well, that Charlie would be okay, but still, it's like, oh my god! You just keep going. You just keep going. It's he almost goes to the point of insanity. Where why are you even doing this anymore? Repeating this action like, is just—it's a definite. expecting hurting, a different. It's outcome. hurting you. It's hurting me. It's not helping Charlie. Um, and and again to to go back to two thousand four. Um, if you remember at the very beginning when we were talking about the pilot, you know they were really pushing Dominic Monahan's presence in this show in right. the early promotional stuff so this was essentially them potentially killing off their biggest star uh or at least the biggest name at the time because of lord of the rings yeah and so like that was a ballsy move first and foremost second of all with how long it goes on i remember first of all it's chilling seeing him hanging there and i just remember I went back and forth. I'm like, they're gonna fix him. No, no, he's really dead. No, they can, they can still save him. No, like I'm absolutely that, going back and forth um, as an audience member. Like as an audience, we are that kid from The Simpsons who's going, stop it, stop it. He's already dead. And that Michael Giacchino score comes in. Yes. And then it stops, and you're like, well, it's over. And I wish I had timed it. But there is a long period of time where Jack has given up, and then he's like, no, I am not going, no. And he goes back, <laughs> and he goes back, and he starts pounding nine more times until, and it's insane. It is such madness, but it works, and Charlie comes back. And again, just, again, the performances when he does, again, this is, this is where Lost is perfect. This is why I loved Lost back in the day. And there's there's another moment um, when we go back to the caves to talk about Saeed and Sawyer. Um, but, like, it's this interpersonal stuff that really kept me coming back to the show long after I should have stopped watching. 
So. Also, like, watching the scene with Charlie, and we get a little choked up. Yeah. Won't be the last time you get choked up about Charlie. Stop it! Isn't that terrible foreshadowing, too? He suffocates! Like, this is... This is terrible. So, uh... And that's the other thing. It's that Charlie's hanging there, and already in this series, he's been established as one of the more lovable characters. Mm -hmm. To see him so close to death. Um, just to put a bow on the Jack storyline, at the end, back at the caves, Charlie, uh, is not talking about this he's very upset because claire's still out there and in the morning they're gonna go off and they're gonna you know go look for claire but where did lock and boone go shannon's very concerned but kate reminds if boone could be any with anyone on the island it's lock lock will keep him safe which is as we as we come to find out debatable yeah, which is, it's like, that is such a simultaneously true statement. And, and also not true. It's, Locke Locke is both the best safe. and worst person well, to be on this island with. Yeah, because he's he's the best because he, he legitimately has the best survival skills and he understands the island better than anybody else. But the worst because he's a zealot. He's blinded by his faith in this island and what it's done for him. He's... He's blinded. And in a lot of ways, he's pushing other people away. And and I get it when it came to Michael, because you don't want the, the search party to be too big. But after a while, he's like, Boone, you better turn back. You better turn back. You better turn back. Here, here's the flashlight. I don't need it. I'm John fucking Locke, and I was meant to be here. But Boone doesn't want to walk away. And what's interesting about this whole sequence is the, the two or three times they cut to them alone, <laughs> it, he, you see Boone becoming a disciple. You yeah. see him truly they're, buying into the godlike less... or father figure of John, the father figure who will disappoint which, of John Locke. Which is funny because he tried to follow Jack and Jack said, don't follow me. Like, I'm not worth following, Mr. Shepard. Uh, but, and then, so when he gets rejected by Jack, he goes and, and sure enough, because, Locke. And because Boone has some of the best intentions and the worst skill set of anyone <laughs> on the island. Um, and, and also it, it's interesting because I don't think John Locke has ever had like an interaction like this before. One, I don't, he doesn't have any children. So like he, he's never had a son and here's this kid who just thinks the world of him. Some foreshadowing also in this sequence. Mm -hmm. Boone's talking about, like, they're leaving these pieces of a red shirt to find their way back. And Boone brings up red shirts about how the red shirts on Star Trek, the people on the away mission who wore red shirts. Both foreshadowing always, in the show and in real life. Always got killed. They always got killed. And Boone himself is to be a red shirt. It, it's some good foreshadowing it's, it's a good some uh lamp shading i think a little bit um and uh when boone explains the concept of star trek to Locke, um <laughs> lock <laughs> says hearing about these the that people these red shirts always died he goes wow he doesn't sound like a good captain um well, Locke also is going to prove not to be the best captain, or at least a captain with a lot to learn. And well done, Javier. Well done. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I again, like, kind of fun foreshadowing because J.J. Abrams would go on to direct the Star Trek movies. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that foreshadowing. Oh, that's what that's what I meant with uh, foreshadowing in the show and in real life. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um. <laughs> But um, yeah. But it's so, uh, anyway, it's so, I, I was processing <laughs> that. But sorry. But it, it, yeah, it's interesting um, because John Locke is kind of like pushing people away um, because he believes he has a destiny on this island, and Boone, eager to please, is willing to follow him, and it's it's but, it's it's tragic. But Locke does have a destiny on the island. Like here's where we get Locke is. He does. I mean, it doesn't... He does. It's it's a terrible, tragic destiny. Yes, but he does. 
And Locke is the only one still at this point to really be in tune with the idea of, he's like, can't you feel it? There is something going on in this island. Yeah, he's being drawn. Just because it's your destiny doesn't mean it's good, Locke. <laughs> well, yeah, but... If I you mean, have a shitty destiny waiting for you, you fight it. You fight it. But at this point, he can't know. It's destiny. And, and it feels right. Ugh. And then... So stupid. One of the single most important things happens that we don't realize how important it's going to be. And it starts what's going to be a great mystery for the rest of this season. Um, in which, when Locke does throw Boone that flashlight to be like, you should go back. It, Boone, because, he, you know. Butterfingers, he, he because he's Boone. Because he's Boone, drops it. Or maybe it was fate. And we hear him. It, like a metallic a sound, it hears something, and they dig up and there's steel. There's something that I'm... will be revealed to be the hatch. I, I gotta be honest. I think all those years ago, when I was first watching this episode, I probably let out a genuine gasp when that flashlight hit the ground. We won't get too much into the hatch right now. No, just we'll, that it's been we'll talk more about that when it becomes more of but a But when we get to... But, when, I'm just going to say this, and we'll get to the episode weeks from now. But the season premiere of season two, I lost my damn mind. I I was surprised that it took that approach, certainly. Um. So, But there were other people in this episode. And let's talk about Michael first. Yeah. Michael, he's a little butthurt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's you know how we were joking about like in, in previous episodes when when a side character that we've never seen before goes I'm a part of this I'm just as important as you that's kind of how Michael feels uh, in this episode only we have known him and seen him and he's not being shoehorned in here um, but you definitely get the the idea that he's tired of being treated like a side character in someone else's show and Michael decides I'm gonna go they went north Locke said. I should go south. I'm going to go south to find nothing. Why is he going south? Where does south go? To the beach? Is he going by himself? This is I, also an ill-thought-out plan I, by I Michael. Will, I will give Locke credit here um, in terms of, like, because Michael becomes very confrontational. Like, maybe I'll just form my own search party. And Locke, again, very pragmatically, both diffusing the situation and also keeping Michael out of his group so that they, they're not slowed down by him is good idea. Get another group together, cover more ground. We don't know where these people went. Like, if you're covering more ground, at least it's doing something. At least it's covering some of our bases. Good idea, Michael. And it, it didn't feel condescending. Like, when, when Jack was all like, yeah, go get a pen, Boone. Like, it didn't feel super condescending like that. It felt, like, genuinely, like... You know what, Michael? If you're insistent on being proactive, then yeah, go go get a group together. Like we we got to cover as much ground as possible. We don't know what we're dealing with. Saeed came in here babbling about there being other people on the island, and now two people have been abducted. Yeah, cover some ground. Um, Walt though tells his father that he should listen to Locke, which, which only... is the last thing Michael wants to hear. So Michael leaves Walt. With, you know, the rest of the castmates. And um, they, uh, Walt starts to bond with a few people. Let's start with Hurley. Oh, I love this. I love this so much. They're playing, what is it, backgammon or whatever? Dice. (laughs) But here's the thing. Walt is able to call everything. Walt calls his dice bit of foreshadowing because walt has some powers that admittedly won't necessarily be explained they don't they don't, but, they don't go anywhere and they're not explained and ultimately it's, it's it's poorly thought out but it is fun to think about like him being like it, like hurley even pointing it out some like ability to make the dice do what he I, wanted yeah either either some sort of telepathy like he could will it into existence or he had some sort of precognitive abilities again these are ideas that are never fully fleshed out or developed because the show is stupid but i love 
that it's it's here because they were clearly going to go somewhere with it. I love that it's here, and I love that Hurley is so just incensed that he's losing. He's like, I'm not bad at this game. I came in 17th in a tournament. <laughs> Which, uh, it's not bad. I mean, depending on how many people in the yeah, tournament. Yeah, we don't, we don't know how big the tournament was. Um, <laughs> but there are a couple of fun hints in this scene because They're one about so Walt, Walt doing, being able to call his own numbers and make the dice do what he wants. And when he when Hurley loses, Walt's like, you owe me $20,000. $20, and Hurley's like, like, yeah, no, I'm good for it or whatever. You'll get, get it. it. You'll get it. You'll get You'll it. You'll get it is what he said. And at this point, we don't realize that Hurley is a multi-millionaire. He's loaded. It's so perfect. This is what I'm talking about with in terms of season one was so tightly written. It was so well done because it's like, here are these little things. And then they they were intended to have better payoffs in terms of like here's a subtle hint that walt has powers and then here's a subtle hint that hurley's actually secretly rich and we'll dive into those things when these characters get their turn to be explored i just wish that this show had kept being that consistent with how good it was i would argue they were that consistent with hurley and with hurley fair walt their <laughs> problems you know what the problems were that kid Got too big, too fast. Should have stunted his growth. Should have had him smoking <laughs> cigarettes. What? <laughs> well, for the sake of this show, no. Um. This show was not worth anyone's life. Walt also is um, uh, uh, hints at having a stepfather. We will get more into Walt's that, backstory. That was a great. Enough. That was a great moment of like my dad says this. Oh, no, my other dad. Like, that was, again, It this was a very good bit of dialogue. It yes. didn't feel clunky. It didn't feel forced. It definitely felt awkward, but in, like, the intentionally right way. Like, you feel, it's that it's like that same moment Hurley had with Saeed in the pilot of, like, oh, I just stepped in onto a nerve, and, and, like, I just stepped into this very awkward situation, and I'm not quite sure how best to deal with it. Um... The last thing I think we need to talk about is Walt also has an interaction with Sawyer. This which is occurred, so cute. <laughs> it is cute because uh, I don't, uh, I don't think we've seen them interact before. No, it, these are beautiful little character bits of like, okay, kid, <laughs> what are you like eight? <laughs> yeah, uh, and they have this little discussion about Ethan. They're talking, and it's mentioned in this little back and forth that. Uh, Saeed is back. Well, it's also mentioned, um, well, hey, did it ever occur to you? you Sawyer doesn't know who the hell Ethan is, which is interesting because you'd think Sawyer would be keeping tabs on literally everybody, almost to the same degree that Hurley was. I don't know. He was busy being tortured. (laughs) But um, really, really great moment of like, well, didn't you ever think that maybe he was lying about his name? It's a dumb thing to lie about your name. Huh. And at this point, we already know that Sawyer's, Sawyer's lying about <laughs> Sawyer's his name. Sawyer's not his real name. And so just that little bit of like, huh, who who lies about their name? That's stupid, Sawyer. <laughs> I loved that moment. It was so good. So he finds out like an injured Saeed's back at the cave. Sawyer goes and confronts him. And it also is like a an ominous scene. Yeah, because, you know, we already know that Saeed felt terrible for what he did and he ended up getting tortured in return for it and we don't know what's happened to him in the interim of like you know escaping from the french woman and then ending up back here we don't know what he's endured and just having sawyer standing over him going well 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 how the tables have turned Uh, but sawyer really other than being a little bit of no he's he's doing what sawyer does and that he's just being kind of a dick but you know what? Quite frankly, I don't fault Sawyer for that. The man did torture him. Yeah. And and again, this is where we get to see the endearing bits of Sawyer. Saeed says his piece, um, which is all Sawyer wanted to hear. He just wanted to hear him sing, I guess, for a little bit. Um, and then Sawyer stands up and he's like, I kept your signal fire going for you. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it, again, it, this is the character stuff I'm talking about. This is where it's so 
good. This is what was so great about this show. Not the half-baked mysteries. Uh, so overall, it's a strong episode. It's funny because watching this episode, I was just, I, I feel like I was more emotionally engaged in, in other episodes a little bit more. However, the more and more I look at it, I'm like, well, that's what's because funny. This, is, yeah. this was so I, straightforward. I feel like uh, talking about it has, not that I dislike this episode at all, but but I wouldn't have put it as high as I do now after talking about it. Well, in because a weird way. it's it's one of those things where I guess it's it's not necessarily greater than the sum of its parts. Like as an if you're just watching it as an episode, it's an episode with exciting moments and mysterious teases and good character interactions. But when you really start to dig into it, it's moments of brilliant acting, brilliant foreshadowing. Uh, and this is coming from the person who hates this fucking show. And and let me get to this. We'll we'll get to now our pros and cons, our Jacobs, Man in Black, our Light, our Dark. Uh, for me, the big the big plus of this is that sequence when he is bringing Charlie back to life. It is. I, I'm kind of surprised I haven't thought about that or remembered that more because, in retrospect, it's one of the more powerful scenes. I remember from the series. I think it's because it gets overshadowed by Charlie's death later on. And then even in Which this season... Which is incredible. Yeah. And then even in this uh, season, Boone's death. Um, so I feel like those things overshadow it because Charlie was saved. But that doesn't take away from the power of this moment. And I, I have to agree with you, that is also my my man in white. And if, if you want to get real, like... like Grandular about this. I love the the way they play the music in that scene. Oh, it's I love the way it's the beautiful. music comes in and stops, and you think it's over, and then Jack goes back, and the music comes back in. It's it's done in a really perfect way. Uh, what's your big negative from this? What's your big man in black? There aren't really a ton of negatives in and of themselves. I mean, I have a lot of emotional baggage just with the others and what the others represent and what how they change the dynamic of the show. So knowing that this is this is sort of where we really start to head in that direction does bother me a lot, but that's not the fault of the episode and that's more of the failure of later seasons. Um, I think honestly if we're if we're just looking at the context of this episode, really the only complaints I have are are nitpicky things. It's, Same. It's it's Jack being all reluctant hero, which again is baggage from well, the decision at the very beginning of the series. Yeah, my thing would be Jack. You got to calm down. Could be in a dick. Um, like but, he's a real dick to Kate. But the the only real nitpicks I have outside of my jet sort of macro complaints, which will just be consistent throughout this podcast um my only real nitpicks is the use of like slow-mo in jack's flashback and then and then that one scene when they initially find charlie's um tape uh you know where it, it even though it was included in the previously on um they have this quick flashback to charlie like drawing on on the tape and then then they point out and say oh yeah these these belong to charlie and it's like we get it. Like you didn't, you didn't need that quick flashback if you were just going to reiterate. Yep, those sure are Charlie's. Yeah, but the flashbacks in the previously on. Yeah, and that's why I think it's redundant who here has, in the context of the episode. Who cuts the previously on though? It's not the same editing team, is I it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. They don't include that in the credits. They don't say edited by. But the beginning is only edited by this person. I don't know if it's a different i think it's a different team and i think also like when you see shows like like next week on that's a different team those are more like marketing well people. i mean in terms of like the stuff that plays you know in the side of the television when when the credits are rolling yes that's done by the promo team i'm pretty sure that previously on lost is still done by the production team to remind you of like all relevant yeah, stuff leading into. Yeah, because they know what needs to be reminded. So if it's yes. in the previously on, hey, I don't man. need an additional flashback. This was network television back in two thousand four. I, I was gonna say I don't remember 
this abduction happening so soon, and I don't remember the hatch happening so soon, but, like, you gotta like, go back. This was 11th episode, which means the show had been on for 11 weeks. And, and then I'm like, that makes sense. We're about halfway through the first season now. Yeah. Um, good for us. Um, oh, no. And then it gets bad. It no. gets so good. Debatable. It gets so good. That, I suppose that's true from a certain point of view. Um, <laughs> so, uh,. We said very straightforward episode. This will be a fast one. We've already gone over an hour. So <laughs> uh, why don't we wrap this up? Megan, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at <sighs> The Real Will Link. <laughs> and, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod and please, you know, give a listen to some of the other great shows on the Podcast Jukebox Network. Uh, you know, the, 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 the more shows each and every day is fun. Well, listen to uh, Off the Cuffs. Learn something about uh, uh, your sexuality. It'll be good. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, that is all the best Cowboys Have Daddy issues. So until next week. I don't know if historically speaking that's true, but. No. <laughs> oh, another bit of trivia. We, we found out that in 2006, the group Senses Fail uh, made a song named after this episode. I have no idea who Senses Fail is. <laughs> I'm just saying that the group Senses Fail did a, may, made a song named after a lost episode. Maybe the most 2006 sentence I've ever uttered. <laughs> <laughs> So, until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, being there, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and Proud to be Kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us and for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. 